I want to I throw out a question, and I want you to actually answer it. You can just yell it out. It's not any big deal. What is, in your mind, one of the worst ways to die? I know you have figured, I know, you can sit there and say, well, that's a weird, terrible question. I know you've thought about it. We've all thought about it. We all think about, if I die, I don't want it to be this way. What is one of the worst, well, you say fire, fire has to be one of them. Fire in your house and you can't get out. That's one. What else? Drowning. I knew that would be top two. You go underwater and there's, it's just, it's terrifying. So you got that. What else? Falling from a tall building or something, okay, out of a helicopter or something. Just, I don't know why you would do that, but I mean, okay. Anybody else? What? Strangulation. Yes, that would be, yeah. <laughs> Alfred is going this. This is what I mean. Okay, yeah, I got you. Okay, strangulation, which is, okay, another form. Of, anybody else? Getting run over. Has somebody threatened you with that, Gary? I don't, I, no, no, I just, I, okay, so get run over or, or, or even a, and that's kind of where we're at. You're looking at the picture, a, a certain kind of transportation accident. Uh, go down with a ship, that would be drowning, of course, or blow up on an airplane or, or a car wreck. Those, those are awful ways, right? I think uh, in this particular passage that we're talking about today, Paul is tapping into one of Timothy's, when he grew up, the top ten list, one of the top three would be shipwreck. He grew up on... Uh, an area where they did a lot of sea traffic. And he's, we know that he's heard stories, I'm sure, of terrible shipwrecks. But he's also been on at least one with Paul, so he has some personal experience with it. And Paul wants him to think of that fear. I want you to think about that awful experience, and I want you to associate it with something. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This charge, he gave him the charge in verse 3, to stop these people from teaching things they shouldn't teach. But this charge, he says it again, I want to remind you, I entrust you to you, Timothy. I'm giving you this charge in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. I've told you what the, this before, and I've equipped you by putting my hands on you, and so have the elders. You are capable of doing this, Timothy. But you get the sense that Timothy was a little reluctant to actually do it. He has some hesitancy. Uh, that by, uh, by them, the things you got, by them you may wage good warfare. You have the weaponry to wage this war. You're just not doing it. But, but I want to give you a warning. Hold on to your faith and your good conscience. I want you to remember that. Hold on to your faith and your good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And he names two of them, Hymenaeus and Alexander. They made a shipwreck of their faith. They did not hold on to their faith and their good conscience, and they shipwrecked their faith. I don't want this to happen to you, Timothy. I want you to tap into that fear of dying that way because I'm going to tell you, you can spiritually be a victim of a shipwrecked faith. It can happen to you, Timothy, and I want to scare you into not doing that, okay? These two men have done that. He's handed them over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme, not to say inaccurate, improper words. Timothy, I want you to not shipwreck your faith. I want you not only to be on the ship, I want you to get to the, the, the destination. 
And I want you to remember that fear because I want that to be what drives you. you, you just, he just seems to be timid and tentative, and he wants him to fear that, hey, if, I'm, if I continue being this way, I could shipwreck my faith. Obviously, to be in a shipwreck means you've got on the ship. You can't do this on dry land. So Timothy has great faith, but he says, so did these other two. These other two had great faith too, and they shipwrecked their faith. Now, if you think he's exaggerating, maybe he's calling a bluff. You know how people can do that. I can scare you and bluff you into doing this, but I'm not really going to do anything. Lest you think that, Paul is repetitive. I want you to look back at chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to see it on the screen. I want you to notice the red word up there. He says, Timothy, I want you to stop these people. They're teaching things that ought not to be taught in church. They're teaching things that aren't gospel. They're teaching things from the law, from a different doctrine. You see that in verse 3? I don't, and they don't need to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And the reason why I'm doing this, the aim of this charge is love, which issues from, notice that's in italics, it issues from, and here's the first occurrence of these words, pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Those things combine a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. They combine, and this is why we stop people from teaching this. Certain persons, by swerving from these, they've swerved from their good conscience. They swerved from their sincere faith, and they've wandered away into vain discussions. These people, you cannot swerve from a place you've never been in. They are just fine. They're right on the road where they should be, and because because they don't keep their faith and their good conscience, they swerve. There's one word. Then we've got our passage that was just read. It's right here. I want you to, I want you to watch your holding your faith and your good conscience because some people don't and they shipwreck. So some swerve. The same thing is called shipwreck here. Now notice the next one. This is chapter 4. And in fact, if you have chapter 4, I've got to make a reference because I think I, I forgot to put something on there. Here's what it says in verse 1. The Spirit expressly says that in later times some will, what's the word? Say the red words. Depart from. You cannot depart from something that you were never at. These people were there. The Spirit clearly says that some people in later times who have the faith will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. You get the faith and you get the conscience word again. Now to prevent this, he says later on in the passage, I want you to see this, keep a close on your, uh, eye on yourself, keep close watch on yourself and on your teaching. The NIV says it this way, keep watch of your life and your doctrine, your belief and your behavior. Keep a close eye on what you believe and how you behave. If you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Implied is, if you don't, you will depart from the faith. Chapter 6, one more image and we're done. Teach and urge these things. Timothy says, I want you to teach the things I've taught you. If anyone teaches something different, they're, they're arrogant. They have an unhealthy interest in things that are just divisive. And he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because they crave more money, they're willing to entertain things that aren't true because it brings more income in. The love, the love, um, what do you call it? 
We're going to take up a love offering. The love offering is greater when you tell me something I like to hear than when you tell me hard truths. And so they started telling whatever would get more love offering money, right? Some people, because of that greed, had wandered away from the faith. You can't wander away from a place you've never been. Now what I'm saying is, Paul is saying to Timothy, you've got the capability to stop this false doctrine from being taught, but I sense a timidity of using it. So let me warn you, Timothy, if you don't watch your life, you don't watch your conscience and your faith very carefully, you can swerve from the faith. You can shipwreck your faith. You can abandon the faith or walk away from. You can wander away from the faith. It can happen, and I don't want it to happen to you, so Timothy, get busy. Question is this, what is it that gives us this kind of faith in the first place? And what is it that we can do that would cause us to lose it? How can we shipwreck what we've got? We, we are a church that was very serious about this. We have a destiny we have in mind for every person who attends here, who comes here, who comes here to be nurtured. We, we, we love the idea when a worship service happens like this and someone responds to the gospel and actually wants to be baptized, it is one of the most exciting things that can happen here. Better than anything else that can be said or done is when we witness a new birth. Is that not true? It's an amazing thing. We all hear amens, and some people don't know whether they can say amen or not, so they applaud, and some people don't know whether they should do that or not, and so they just smile. I mean, we don't know what we're doing, but we want to acknowledge that this is something we like, and we want them signing the wall. But listen, I, we want to be a church where you do more than just start the Christian life. We don't want you just to board the ship. We want you to make it to the destination it's supposed to go to. We want to see you grow and nurture yourself and, and, and just become this vibrant part of the church. And not just be somebody who comes, but somebody who, who is a part of this and grows and, and just becomes like a leader here. That's what we want to see. We want to see that growth happen. So what is it that will do this? What is it will do this? Not only start you on your walk of faith, but continue to help you grow. There's two ingredients to this, according to what Paul says in this passage over and over again. Number one is a sincere faith. By this, it's in, in chapter 1, verse 5, is where he uses this word for the first time, and then he carries it all the way through. A sincere faith is literally, in the Greek, unhypocritical. It's not tainted by anything else. It just lets God wor God's word be what fills my mind. I don't, let, I don't let other things that would compromise that or contaminate that get in my brain. I want my mind to be set on the Word of God, and I want to trust God completely over my own feelings, over my own desires, over my own intuition. If it costs me something, so be it. If I suffer for it, so be it. If it goes against my friends, so be it. A sincere faith is one that says, I'm going to stand on the words of God, and this I trust no matter what else is spoken to me. That's called a sincere faith. You know this. Complete the line with me here. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing the Word of God. That's where faith comes from. Now you can get an example of faith in a lot of lives around you, but where faith really comes from is this is the Word of God. And I put it in my mind and suddenly I believe. It takes more than that though. We know this in all sorts of ways. We're going to see it in this particular passage. 
is there's a second ingredient. It's not just what you believe in your mind. We're going to talk about this as a mental thing. This is where I grasp, but I want the Word of God to be the resource, the source of all I believe and do. And it comes into my brain, and great, I believe it. But then there's another element. It's called a clear or good conscience in chapter 1, verse 5. What is a conscience? Because you've got to have both of these together, he says. If you compromise either one, we're in trouble. What is a good conscience? It's an internalizing of what my brain accepts. I accept in my mind the Word of God. It's what I believe and what I'll do. But it's not just something I mentally assent to. I agree with. It sinks down into my heart. And it shapes who I'm going to be. I'm actually, what would you call it? When you put this in your computer, right? It's a file that gets downloaded, and then it becomes something that affects what comes out of the computer. This is when you internalize it and ground. You program your life, and suddenly, not just do I believe it, but I plan and intend to actually live it. I intend to make it part of my life and inform everything I do. Now, you think of conscience most often, in two ways. After you've done something, your conscience will start speaking. Anybody had this experience before? You do something, and you know what? It was hard for you to do it. You really wanted to do something else. You really wanted to go with your gut, but you went with the truth, and your conscience goes, bravo, bravo, and it confirms your faith, right? It says, man, you did that right. Or, more likely for many of us, we did something we know in our head is wrong. And our conscience will start, instead of confirming, it will start convicting. And it will say to you, what you did back there is not in line with what you know is true. And it will start plaguing you. And it will plague you until you repent. Your conscience is what causes you to have conviction that says to you, I can't go from here without stopping and repenting. I want to make this back right and set it right. And that is your conscience. But that's your conscience after you've done something. Your conscience is also working before you do. In the cartoons, it looks like this. You've got the little angel on this shoulder, and you've got the little demon on this shoulder. And they're trying to tell you what you should do right now as you're facing this one dilemma or decision. And the little angel's saying, you know what God wants you to do. And the little demon over here saying, oh, you know what you want to do. And it's trying to help you, push you to do either the right or wrong thing. And your conscience is trying to help you make the right decision in this moment. In other words, is your faith just going to be merely intellectual Are you going to take it so seriously that it actually shapes what you do? Here's how Jesus would say it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't just be hearers, but blessed is the one who hears and does. The person who builds his life upon the rock is the one who hears my words and does them. That's the conscience. The conscience programs you to actually do it. So if you're looking at these, the the sincere faith is in the mind, it's your beliefs. And the conscience is in your heart, it's the intent, it's your behavior. These need to line up, and if they do, you have integrity. And you actually carry out 
your Christian life. But life happens, doesn't it? I, I can tell you how this happens with us. We visualize this. You've seen this a hundred times. You didn't really maybe realize what was happening. Someone comes forward and says, I want to be a Christian. So the preacher comes down here in the middle of the aisle, embarrasses them like crazy, makes them get up and say what? I ask him a question. The preacher says what? Do you believe with all your heart? Do you believe? Do you actually believe that all the Bible says about Jesus is true? And they say, yes. I believe it in my brain. That is important, y'all. That is their sincere faith. But we do something else. Immediately, we do. Immediately after that, we march them up here. And they get in the water. And how much of them gets in the water? Can anybody tell me? All of them. Their hands, their feet, their mouth, their eyes, their hair. Gary's saying their hair. If they've got some. They've, we get them in that water and we completely immerse them. What they are saying by doing that, first of all, that's just what the Scripture, their faith is going to tell them to do. Because that's exactly what Scripture says. But it's more than that even. They are saying... My entire body and my entire life is submitting to carrying out what this faith would have me do. My entire body is going to be immersed. And that's why Peter says it's a pledge of a good conscience toward God, right? And Hebrews says the only thing, the only thing that really clears your conscience is the blood of Jesus, not the blood of animals. And where you come in contact with the blood of Jesus is in the waters of baptism by faith. And that cleans your conscience you've got a new conscience and your intention is not just to continue believing it your intention is to live it out in every area of your life you've just been immersed completely submerged it's just this beautiful picture of what we're intending to do but but, but life happens and this is where we get to this next chart I want you to see this this is what it should how faith does grow you have a faith you have wrapped your mind around, you've set your mind upon the words of God, you hear it, you believe it, it sits in your brain and you know what God wants you to do. That's one thing and that's important. And then it sinks down into your heart and you actually intend to live it out. This is like Hebrews chapter 4, where it talks about the word of God is living and active and it can discern between the thought and intent of the heart. Now here's what's interesting. The Bible knows when you just think it. And when you think it and you fully intend to do it, the Bible can tell the difference. It's an amazing, living document. You put these two together and you actually do the truth, and that's when faith grows. That's how faith is born. That is how faith grows. But it also illustrates two ways that it goes south. Because life happens, and the first thing that happens, you stop. This is the first threat that could shipwreck your faith. You stop feeding your mind the words of God. You've decided, you know what, I'm so full like Thanksgiving. How many of you at the end of Thanksgiving said, I'm never eating again? Has anybody said that? I'm never eating again. I'm so full. Full as a tick, they used to say. Full as a I'm so full, I'll never eat again. Now, you know better than that. Because by a couple hours later, you're munching again on the leftovers. It's just that you, but, but a lot of people will say, you know what, I've heard it all. I've heard the word. I've been in Bible class all my life. I'm 50 years old. I don't need any more. Oh, you've got to continually fill your mind with the words of God. Otherwise, you'll starve. How many of you have read the Bible over and over again, and yet every time you read it, you discover something new? 
Anybody? Am I the only one this happened? Everybody. You, you just keep feeding it. And you've, the way you convince yourself that you've lived a pretty good life and you don't have much to work on is just don't read the Bible anymore. You can make yourself, wow, all those major teachings, I do all that, so I don't need to read it anymore. But the more you read it, have you ever noticed how invasive it is? It will not leave you alone. Scripture will not let you be. It just gets more and more invasive every time, and it reaches farther in, and you discover new things, and you're Ina Brown, who's as good as anybody I know, and you're discovering things that you need to work on. That's how you continue growing. Because if you stop feeding yourself the word, you won't do the truth anymore. Not only that, but you'll start listening to other things because you are continually taking in information, whether you like it or not. So if you're not feeding yourself the word, you're feeding yourself something. You're feeding yourself the words you hear from peers, the things you see on movies, the hear things you hear on music, and you start believing it. And you hear it enough, you start believing it. And a lot of that stuff, a lot of that stuff is contrary and when you have both the word a little bit in your head and this contrary stuff, it is no longer unhypocritical faith. It is part faith and part junk. And you lose the ability to discern which is which. So I'm watching the view. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. It was a lapse of judgment. Watching the view and this lady. I was visiting one of you, in fact, and you had it on. There's a spot up front. This lady's talking, and she says, well, you know what the Bible says? You give a man a fish, you feed him for one day, you teach him to fish, and you can feed him every day. And they all said, yeah, that's right, amen. I'm like, y'all are a bunch of idiots. Bible doesn't say anything like that. But they all thought he was. Now, I don't mean idiots. I've got to be nice. You're just ignorant. right? That's I'm watching this, and every, not only is she wrong, but everybody else thought she was right. Just stay ignorant of the word. You'll shipwreck your faith. You think you can go on autopilot for a long time without feeding yourself the word? No. In fact, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, get in those classrooms at church and stop some of those people. It is that serious. If somebody's feeding junk at church and it goes in their mind, church becomes a source of what causes their shipwreck. That's a creepy thought, church. Elders, that is a terrible thought. We don't want that. We want the truth to be taught here. And listen, you are in the world where the world is teaching you stuff all day long, 24 hours, seven days a week, and then you come to church and we have two Bible classes for an hour each. That's, a, that's way too little, but it's as much as we can get from people, and sometimes that's more than you can give. You better be feeding yourself that word somewhere, church, because your faith will shipwreck if you're not feeding yourself the word. But there's a second way to do this. I'll go through this as fast as I can. It's the conscience way, because this is so brilliant, i got to read this. And somebody needs to tweet this out. Amy, tweet this out. Here's what it says. Somewhere between the, the right teaching and the right living, there was a defect with some of these teachers. Here's something you know is true. Most people don't study their way into wrong behavior. Most people do not study their way into wrong behavior. Most people act their way into wrong belief. Most people will act their way into wrong belief. Two examples here. 
You know anybody who said, you know what, I studied the Bible and decided cussing and crude language is no big deal. I studied it all the way through and decided God doesn't care about what I say, even when it's casual and careless. God just doesn't really care about what I say. And so I, I decided to take up cussing and crude language. You ever heard anybody say that? Anybody heard anybody say that? No. What you might hear is a person who used a lot of cuss language, cussing, and saw that. Listen, I don't understand the casual cussing that goes on a lot of times. I don't get it. That's not... It's not attractive, it's not interesting, and it's certainly not spiritual, right? And that crude language you might use about jokes and about people and all this, all that stuff doesn't belong in the Christian life. I can just tell, he, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful built for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. And in Colossians, he says, I want you to have speech seasoned with salt that is gracious. But I know people who just like talking that way and they just can't seem to root that out of their lives and so they talk this way and they go hmm how can I go back and look at scripture again and see what it actually says about this and they go back and they restudy always be a little bit leery of people who restudy okay they want to restudy and suddenly they decide oh it's not all that harsh about my language you have something you want to keep And you go back to Scripture and you reinterpret it in a way that will justify that action. That's how sin grows in our world today. People are gossiping, talking about each other. They get around a table and they start naming, even people at church, you say, wow, can you believe what she wore? Can you believe what he said? Or what they put on Facebook and blah, blah, blah. We start talking about each other. You didn't get there because you read in Scripture that's okay. Nobody got there that way. What they do is they get there and they want to stay there and they go back in Scripture and they say, well, whatever that's talking about, it's not this. Yes, it is this. And you need to download that from your brain into your heart to where it becomes part of your programming, to where it actually stops you from doing it when you see signs of it showing up. That's how the conscience is supposed to work. And then we just act our way into things and we cause ourselves to change our our beliefs. Two quick examples of this. Look at chapter one, verse 19. I want to show you a grammatical thing. He says, this charge I entrust you, Timothy, Right Now verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. They had faith and they had a good conscience, but then they rejected this. Not faith, they rejected their conscience. They knew they had an accurate understanding of what the Bible said. They just didn't do it. And because they didn't do it, they shipwrecked their entire faith. How do people do this? Here's how people do it in our world. They believe God's only concerned about what you believe. This is called faith only people a lot. As long as you believe Jesus died for you, it doesn't matter what you do. It's a lie. That's a lie and it can lead to a shipwrecked faith. God is concerned that you believe, download it into your conscience, and live it out in a world where you change the world as salt and light. He he does not have a disregard over your behavior. A lot of people, for some reason, want to believe that. Oh, grace a cover, you not be- well, you better believe, but you better not. It doesn't matter whether you actually act on it or not. That's not what Paul says. And the way it happens, you just don't do what you know is true. You say, yeah, I know what it says, but I'm not going to do it. I know what it says about sexual purity, but this Friday night, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to violate this. And so suddenly you have a belief that you know what is right and wrong, but you decide whether you do it or not doesn't matter. That's baloney. And that will lead to a shipwrecked faith if you're not careful. One other verse, and I want you to notice this word because this is a word we don't use. I used it in my family the other day, and everybody looked at me real weird, which is not unusual. But chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, he says, These people depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Anybody know what a seared conscience is? Okay, older people know. They know what that means. My kids didn't really know what a seared conscience was. We don't talk about it. Seared is when, let's say, you put your hand on a stove that's hot and it burns so badly that the nerves are destroyed and they don't function anymore. And so now the alert system of the body from your hand no longer functions. In the future, when you have danger enter here, you don't even know it because the nerves have been seared. It's like having an alarm system in your house, an ADT system in your house, but you no longer pay the bill. You've got all the equipment, but it doesn't function. So if somebody comes in your house, there ain't nobody calling you. There ain't no alarm going off. You don't pay the bill anymore. When you have violated your conscience long enough, it no longer functions. You can know what's right and what's wrong. You just don't care enough to actually do it. It's a creepy place to be. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, if you know this teaching's not true and it's harmful and you don't actually stop it, you can shipwreck your faith because you no longer care. You've silenced your conscience. We must, church, be a group of people who constantly feed ourselves the Word of God. This is the key to spiritual growth. Feed yourself the Word of God and download it as if you care and intend to live by it. If you don't do both of those together, your faith could be shipwrecked. This is spiritual integrity. This is when you line up what you do by what you believe. Go ahead and hit the next two on there if you would. So we hear, we believe, we teach. We expose ourselves to the truth of God. We keep filling our minds with it, challenging what's there by what's true. And then you internalize that so you actually intend to live it out. That's the call upon you this week as members of the Lord's church. Paul is pointing this out. There are two threats to your spiritual integrity. One is your mind. One is your conscience. Be paying attention to both of them. You'll save yourself and your hearers. If you've been born again, continue growing and feeding on the Word of God and filling your heart with the intention of living it out. We don't want this church and members of it to get on the ship but never make it to where it's going. We all want to arrive at the destination of living with God forever. But there is a very real threat if we don't pay attention to how we're navigating across the waters that life throws at us. And this morning, I want to ask, urge you, live with spiritual integrity. Fill your mind with the Word. Intend with every fiber of your being to honor it. And let's together be a church that doesn't just teach the truth, but longs to live it and to see it lived in each other's lives, challenging each other to not, to not accept mediocrity, to not allow our consciences to be seared.
This morning, if you need to respond to the gospel, maybe you've never become a child of God, it's clear what that is. God has made it clear in the faith. We confess the name of Jesus, we're immersed in the waters of baptism, and rise to walk a new life. If you've never done that, let's, let's load the ship this morning with new people. But if you've been on that, you've done that, but for some reason, one of those two things is out of kilter, Pay attention to that. You might be able to resolve it yourself, but you might need the prayers of this church. Whatever is needed, make it known as we stand, as we sing to encourage you.